Welcome to Fran Path Consulting Podcast. I'm Sam Schweitzer. And I'm Brittany Bodie. And together we are Fran Path Consulting. Good afternoon, Brittany Bodie. How are you? Hey, Sam. I'm good. How are you today? I am doing well. Thanks for asking. Good. How is North Dakota treating you? Well, I have, you know, the debacle I'm getting here. Um, <laughs> but besides my travel plans being foiled by the airlines, I am doing well. It's good. It's actually weirdly less smoky here. Um, in Wisconsin, we had a lot of smoke from the wildfires. And you would think being this close to Canada, that would be the case, but nothing here. So I'm enjoying the clear air. That's so crazy. Yeah, I figured it would be worse considering you're right on the border. That's exactly what I thought, but not at all. It's been actually much nicer and it's so nice to be around family, but I'm already preparing to have to edit out noises, doors opening. I've locked myself in my childhood bedroom <laughs> and I am just, I've literally threatened everyone's lives before starting to record this podcast. Don't make one noise or you're in so much trouble. So we'll see if we can keep all cousins and kids and family quiet for this one. Yeah, no kidding. What are you guys going to do this weekend once you're done with work? Golfing, lots of golfing, lots of lake, lots of different stuff there. But overall, I think just trying to relax some fireworks, different things of that nature. What do you guys have planned, girl? Um, we're going to get a lot of thunderstorms in Atlanta this Ooh. weekend, but we think that we're going to sneak out onto the lake Saturday morning before the thunderstorms happen. So we're going to take another couple um, out on our boat with us on Saturday. And then, I don't know, I think we'll grill out um, Saturday night if we don't have thunderstorms. If not, I'm sure I'll cook something. And then... We need to buy a new mattress. I mean, really exciting. <laughs> so that is what I will spend Sunday or Monday doing is buying a new mattress. <laughs> I mean, riveting, truly. <laughs> if um, if 21-year-old us could talk to us now, what do you think she would say? <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> Exactly. Well, it's just nice to have some downtime. And, you know, I think being with family and getting to rest a little bit is always awesome. You just went on a fantastic vacation with your mom that you guys have been planning for about eight months. And so mm -hmm. are you happy to have a little rest after a vacation after the Vegas vacation? I was going to say, especially because it's Vegas. No, it was the trip of a lifetime. We've had my mom on the podcast before. Um, and she is, you know, everything to me. She has been the biggest cheerleader, mentor, anything I could ask for, and just the best mom ever. And I was really blessed growing up. She took me to a lot of cool places. And so it was really fun to return the favor and take her on a trip for something that was on her bucket list. So Keith Urban concert was top of her list and he has residency oh. in Vegas so it was really special to me just to be able to take her on a trip and do something that she really wanted to do. So we had the best time, but Vegas, you know, you do 20, 30,000 steps a day, <laughs> you too much, you have too many martinis, you know, so it was, it was a great time, but we're just, you know, happy to be settling back in and relaxing a little bit. Detoxing to retox this weekend. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, speaking of bucket lists, we've had a guest that we've had on our bucket list for a while that we've really wanted on the franchise on this podcast because he's a franchising kind of rock star in a way. Um, and he's anonymous. So we are going to have our first guest that will not be on camera here. We are so excited to welcome the Wolf of Franchises and co-founder of Crockett. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. You know, one of our team members really reached out to you, just hopeful that maybe you'd reply to a message from us and see if we could get you on the podcast. So we know how valuable your time is, and we're really excited to have you share more about your story today. So thanks so much for joining us. Why don't you start with your story? Tell us a little bit about your background and your career to this point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, I mean, I, I got my start in franchising. Actually, I worked for a multi-unit owner of uh, a concept that it's pretty niche. It's called Johnstone Supply. It's like an HVAC supply house. Uh, and it's actually largely uh, co-op. Um, so a bit of a different like corporate structure compared to your typical franchise or franchisee uh, relationship. But anyway, that kind of just opened my eyes to like brick and mortar business ownership. The owner group I worked with started with four locations. And by the time I left, they had nine locations. And it clicked at one point during that, you know, my work there that uh, even though I was in this like very traditionally unsexy industry of air conditioning and plumbing that uh, the owners of the business were actually incredibly, you know, doing very well for themselves, like probably making millions of dollars a year. All, all of a sudden I was like, wait, they drive a really nice car. They're always on vacation. Uh, <laughs> they told me about their beach house and ski house and I know what town they live in. And that's a really nice town. I was like, oh my God, these guys are really doing well for themselves. So that got me like very interested in this whole world of multi-unit ownership. And so from there, I went to a franchise uh, development company or, or an FSO um, in New York City. And that really like widened my view to like the whole ecosystem of how many brands are out there, as well as, you know, I was helping people go through the sales process. Um, so met tons more multi-unit owners of, you know, dozens and dozens of brands. Uh, also really understood like, what franchisors like how they thought uh the, the the legal side of things um i really think for me that was perfect like it really puts you at the if you work for an episode you're really at the intersection at least i felt like i was in that role of that franchise or franchisee relationship and i was just able to see both sides very clearly um whereas you know if i was just in-house at one franchisor maybe you don't get that same experience and that wide lens so um, yeah, from there, I kind of, at some point during COVID, you know, was super bored, uh, not much to do, couldn't go out or anything. And uh, yeah, I, I was already on Twitter, like very entrepreneurial person. So like always was on Twitter, just like reading and kind of lurking, not really sharing content. But uh, at some point I decided, you know, I was like, there's a lot of cool stuff happening in franchising. No one's talking about it though. And yeah, I started the Wolf of Franchises and snowballed from there. But um, yeah, that's that's kind of the, the short version of the story. It's so interesting how people get into franchising. And I think what you said about FSOs, Brittany and I obviously worked for the largest FSO in, in North America, and we definitely feel the same way. And I think, you know, you learn so many things and it is kind of 
drinking from a fire hose, if you will, because there's so much going on at once, but it is the perfect way to meet current franchisees, help people find great brands, but also learn the legal side and you're serving the franchisor and the franchisee at the same time. So it is a really, really interesting, really baptism by fire on franchising. Now you decided to leverage social media in a way that most people in our industry don't. It is kind of this, franchising is kind of a funny thing from the inside. We're not using a lot of technology. You're not seeing a lot of stuff on platforms about it. Franchisors to gain a customer base certainly do that. But what made you decide to use social media, specifically Twitter, to create your brand? Yeah. Uh, so kind of just piggybacking off what, what I said before, you know, it's, it's COVID, uh, you know, I, again, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit. I was still working at the FSO, uh, but I kind of said to myself, like, I want to start my own thing. And my thought was, I, I remembered, I like wrote it down in my notes app uh, on my iPhone. I was just like, it's like, okay, you have no social obligations. Like there's literally nothing else to do. So it's like, if I can't figure out any venture to start that actually like has some traction during this time, like, I'm never going to be able to figure it out because I have no excuse, basically. Um, so I was obsessing. I, I did all these different things, some related to franchising, some not. Uh, but ultimately, I saw this trend of content creators on Twitter building an audience in a specific niche. And then from there, you know, what they did with that audience definitely differed depending on like who the person was. But I just noticed like that they were getting great opportunities. Like there's this guy who wrote about tech startups that ended up raising a venture fund off the back of his audience. Uh, and there was like, you know, CPG like or D2C influencers launching companies or just getting allocations in, in you know, D2C startups to promote them. Uh, so I just kind of saw that happening. I knew franchising was legit enough where like it deserved more coverage because, you know, as a uh, director of development at the FSO, I was, you know, speaking with like multi-unit owners every single day. And as part of, I'm sure just like Fastlane, right? There's a qualification process. Uh, obviously, like I never would tweet sensitive information about those deals, but uh, I did, you know, just see, I was like, okay, a lot of these multi-owners, just like my boss, my last boss at the HVAC supply house franchise, they're making good money. And so, yeah, I just thought it was a very underspoken about uh, like entrepreneurial path. And yeah, I just thought if I could build an audience, I didn't really have a plan after that, but I just knew that, uh, you know, like you said, not many people in franchising are doing it. So I was like, this is a great opportunity. Like, basically no competition, which every other like B2B content category, there's like dozens of like influencers or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so yeah, saw the opportunity um, and, and wanted to do that. But then I also just knew from like a utility perspective because I was talking to so many leads and because I was also trying to help my company find emerging franchisors to partner with before, you know, folks like you guys at Fastlane got a hold of them. Uh, you know, I, I knew the research process was broken. Uh, uh, and like, it was, I was just sifting through FDDs on Wisconsin's website one by one. And there's not really a good way to sort, or, you know, I'd have to like do command F and go to item 19. So, uh, I, I knew that prospects, cause they would say it to me too, they'd ask for a way to research brands. And, uh, that's why I started the newsletter. Cause I just knew there was this transparency issue. People just wanted a basic understanding of a brand before having to get hounded by a sales rep, like the guy used to be. Uh, and I, I aligned with that, like. You know, if you go to a shopping mall, I prefer to be able to just look at things without someone, you know, begging me to buy something. 
Uh, and the franchise industry, I've always felt from day one, the first moment I started working at the episode, I felt like we were doing a, a bit backwards where it's like, you know, to go with the shopping mall analogy, it kind of felt like the way it is, like, as soon as the customer walks in the mall, every owner of the shop is just saying, hey, you want to buy this? You want to buy this? <laughs> it's like, that's not how the cons- uh, that's not how the consumer wants it to be. So I thought if I could just create a neutral newsletter, that it would gain some traction and uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely. I mean, it's been almost two years of it at this point. Uh, almost two years to the day, actually. Um, so it's been a lot of work, but uh, it's it's been a fun ride so far. So Sam mentioned at the beginning that you're our first anonymous guest. So you decided when you launched that you would be anonymous. You stayed anonymous. Tell us why. What's your thought process behind <laughs> that? Yeah, this is yeah. Uh, I get this question a lot. I mean. At this point, realistically, like, I feel like it's, it's kind of a, uh, I mean, it's a full blown brand in some sense. Uh, so I don't know. I feel like I'm past the point of no return. Uh, obviously, right. Like you guys can see my face, you know, my name. So like, I'm not shy about like sharing who I am when people reach out, you know, I'm really not like a super private person or anything like that. Uh, I guess at the beginning though, I mean, there's a, like mixed motivations. Partially, I just wanted to be judged. Uh, solely for like my content and my quality of information that I was putting out. And if I'm an anonymous French fry, no one can really make assumptions about, you know, age, gender, et cetera, things like that, which on Twitter, internet is fantastic in a lot of ways, but it can also be very vicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so no one can really just, you know, uh, lambast me and take something out of context, you know, just because you're an anonymous French fry. So uh, that was part of it. I mean, honestly, also, it's a bit scary. The very first, I'm sure you guys can resonate. Like the first time you put a piece of content out there, it's like, uh, I don't know. I was like kind of insecure if I'm being really honest about it. So that was probably part of it. Uh, yeah. I mean, and also, I mean, I was still working at the episode. And like I said, I was never tweeting anything sensitive about deals, but I still just felt like I was like, well, like someone happened. Like if my bosses somehow saw this on Twitter, like would they love that I was doing it? Like probably not. Uh, so I was like, yeah, like, I'll just make it anonymous and see what happens. And again, this, at this point, I'm like, I did think pretty deeply at a few separate times of like doing an unveiling and just, you know, kind of like taking off the mask or whatever. But yeah, at this point, I I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I think being anonymous is kind of your superpower in a way. (laughs) I mean, it's so, it does create this mystery and I remember the first time that we were going to speak with you, we had a friend who knows you quite well. And we asked Dan if we said, you know, should we, is he going to come on camera? Like what, you know, we were a little bit like, we didn't know what to expect either. And he's like, oh yeah, like, he's just like a dude that's going to come out. Like, it's not like, he's like, it's like nothing. And because Brittany and I thought like, okay, should we leave our cameras off? Like we were very much trying to protect this image because yeah. what you've done essentially, and and I actually just had a client ask me, he said, have you heard of this guy, the wolf? And I I said, yeah, actually we'll be recording a podcast with him oh last week, gosh. next week. And he said, oh, you know him? And it was like, <laughs> I felt like it gave me credibility <laughs> just even like, and knowing who you were. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely like this mystique factor that kind of builds, I think in people's minds, it, it really just shows like the power of human imagination. Cause I mean, I've gotten on calls and people are like, Whoa, like, I didn't know who you were going to be. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just a guy. Uh, but yeah, I actually, it's funny too. I remember, uh, 
I did come to like a hard decision uh, in uh, this. So it was quite early on, actually, fall of 2021. I met, uh, there's this big like finance, like stock market influencer on, he's mainly big on Instagram, but he does have a pretty big Twitter following too. Uh, it's called Liquidity. And I don't, uh, yeah, anyway, he's like, he's like a very, uh, I don't know what the word is, like polarizing, I, I guess. Like, you know, he's big on memes, but like they're like, he'll like kind of go after people in the, like the financial world, like hedge fund managers, like the, and you know, the people who end up on CNBC doing interviews, like he kind of craps on them and like, it's, they're, it's like funny, but very polarizing and, uh, I actually randomly through Workweek, who you know I kind of partner with on some of my content stuff, and they help me grow and just take a lot of the operational headache off my plate. Um, I, I met him in New York, and I I know he. I mean, no no disrespect to him, but like I met him, and he's kind of just like a he's like a thirty five year old kind of like you know a bit of a looked like a washed up investment banker. <laughs> I hate to say it like that, but like. I was just like, that's your liquidity, man. Like your, your Instagram is fiery and that's who you, like if everyone saw what he looked like, they'd be like, damn, like that's not nearly as cool as this. I forget he has like a, I forget what his default pick picture is, but yeah, that's when I was like, okay, like I'm just a guy. I mean, I, I hope, you know, I think maybe I'm a little fresher than, than what I saw. Maybe he was having a rough day, but yeah. Uh, I was just like, I, I'm staying as the wolf. Cause like, there's no way I, I can top the French fry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like you said, people build it up. They build up who they think who they yeah. think you'll be or what they think you'll be like. And I think it is. I, I do think it is part of the mystique is is what keeps people listening to and yeah. and really it eliminates the preconceived notions. And you're right, the internet is a wild place. When we started <laughs> posting content, that was the one thing, you know, Brittany, we post with my son so that we can pay him and create a college fund. And also it's a tax shelter for everyone. So it's yeah. parents write that down, take a note, but that means he's got to be on our Instagram. And so there were some comments on there that were like absolutely crazy about me oh, yeah. as a mom. And, and Brittany was like on there and she was like deleting things left and right. And our, we have a CMO who is like, you can't, you can't delete them. The comments have to stay because that's how it gains traction and gets on the for you page. And we were like, what? Yep. So yeah. he was like, basically like those have to live there, good, bad, and ugly for at least 72 hours. And like yeah. my mom follows this. <laughs> like, we can't have that. But I love, I, I love that you really stuck with it. And it seems like for you, it has really catapulted you forward. Now, yeah, it's been a it's been a fun ride. Now I will say Instagram seems to be the the meanest platform that I've been on so far. Uh, for what it's worth, I don't know. Twitter seems to be nicer. Instagram, I like. I'll see some comments. I'm like, damn, these people are just angry today. Like, why are you saying that to me? <laughs> we started putting so. episodes on YouTube. I don't know if you've done that yet, but that also is a place for one. Uh, YouTube's number two. Yeah, <laughs> As, it's- yeah, yeah. YouTube will get you. I've had some some uh, some humbling comments to say the least. <laughs> and I'm anonymous, so like I like seriously, <laughs> it's not it's never as bad because they can't attack me personally. Personally, but they can attack the brand, of course. So that that still doesn't feel great. But uh, yeah, it's just part of the job. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it can be rough out there. And you've parlayed the wolf of franchises into now a platform that is so compelling and also so different. And I think it's a little bit of what you talked about with your mall analogy. Let's talk a little bit about Crockett. Tell us about that endeavor. 
Yeah, no, uh, that that uh, was part of the motivation for a while as well. Of just like why I've been building an audience uh, again, kind of along the lines of the opportunity I saw. Uh, so there's that like entrepreneurial angle where, you know, uh, there's a lot of tech companies that have started and failed and or struggled because they you know they launched some subscription software product, but they didn't have any customers. So the only way where you go in today's day and age to find customers for a digital product is Facebook and Instagram and Google ads. And since like that, really since Google, Facebook, et cetera, found their business model and really like just started churning that machine, you know, from 2010 to 2020, the price of your average uh, ad has just skyrocketed and it's no longer profitable. There was like a select there was a few years there where some companies took advantage of it and it was like a gold mine for them. They just acquired customers for super cheap and, you know, they've been very successful startups, but the kind of ethos today for like a modern SaaS company is try to build an audience first to basically decrease your customer acquisition costs substantially uh, for your first few years. And so that was part of the reason, but yeah, Crockett is, um, it's basically a, a research database for franchises that, you know, we, we wanted to make it accessible uh, for the individual. So, uh, you know, there is a legacy player in the franchise space that charges tens of thousands of dollars for data. Uh, I was a former client, so I've seen it. There's no technology. Half of the data is incorrect or old. You know, I'm talking like 2018, 2019, the last time I looked at it, which was in 2022. Um, so, yeah, um, I wanted just a modern database, allow people to search for franchises based on the FTD information. So whether it's locations open, the locations that are closing, uh, obviously, if there's average revenue or, or any profitability statistics in item 19, we want to factor all that in, plug it into software. And so you can sort, filter, uh, view all of this, download the FTDs if you want it. We allow 20 FTD downloads a month. Um, and yeah, so it's only a, you know, a couple hundred bucks a year. But uh, again, to that mall analogy, it's like, hey, if you just want to research franchises before you start your outreach... You can go to Crockett. You can find out everything. We've got like 1,700 franchises built in. With, we have, we're going to have 2,200 uh, in the next month or so. You know, we got like this whole data queue uh, for, for getting FEDs and kind of it has this whole process before we can fully upload it to Crockett. But um, yeah, that's, that's the thought. It's just to help increase transparency. And also, you know, it's not just about the franchisees, it's about the franchisors because there's a lot of great franchisors out there. And some people get a really bad idea of the space. Because they're like, wow, this process is broken. Like I have to call up, uh, you know, a bunch of franchisors just to get these FTDs. And obviously they don't know about some of the state websites and things like that, but it's still not like a modern, you know, experience for them. But now these franchisors, right, the ones that are being transparent and are showing, you know, their average unit volumes and uh, potentially their EBITDA and other things. Like now there's a discovery mechanism where people, you know, we have the data too on Crockett already. People are sorting by profitability and the first ones that come up are the ones with the highest profit. But like before, you're kind of just hoping that your digital marketing or your broker contact are the ones that are getting you in front of leads. You know, so we also think it's a great discovery mechanism for the franchisors that are trying to do things the right way. There are so many elements of what you're doing that's unique and so many things that we were excited about when you kind of gave us the preview. And we're just grateful that we're going to be able to be a very small piece of that platform with you. Yep. What are you most excited about of what you're building? What really gets you fired up about this whole thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, we have a few things under the hood, kind of. Like if you were to go on Crockett, 
com today, like our landing page, you wouldn't see them. Uh, so I'm going to keep that kind of close, close to the chest for now. But uh, yeah, over the next, over the summer, we're going to have some cool announcements on kind of new features and, you know, uh, I'll say, I'll share this. It, we, we are coming out with a franchisor focused product um, that kind of helps the whole system, uh, you know, the franchisor and all their franchisees. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, but yeah, honestly, I'm just really like, I, I think we, the reception has been great. Uh, the, you know, a lot of people have said, Hey, like I've been looking for a product like this. It's just great. And it's super validating. Uh, kind of back to like, right. The first time you post content, you're like scared. It's like, Oh, are people going to judge me? Like all of a sudden you think you're an idiot, even though you're like, wait, I've been working in this industry for years. Like I know what I'm talking about <clears throat> with Crockett. It's like first time I've ever launched a software product. So even though we did extensive beta testing, you know, on launch day, I'm just like, Oh God, like, is this, is this even, is this even working? Like, is this a good idea? And it, it was all great. Like a lot of, a lot of people uh, gave a ton of positive support and, um, you know, we haven't had a single day where we haven't had, you know, at least five or six new people sign up, which is awesome as well. So, um, yeah, it's been great. And honestly, I just want to just keeping that going. Like, I, I think, uh, you know, it's maybe not uh, at, uh, the most fun answer, but like, I, I do think our just general database helps uh, a lot of people in their research. So I just want to help, you know, basically not change anything, just add more franchises, try to find every, every franchise out there we want them on the platform so people can have that neutral, objective research experience. And yeah, for us, it's just about getting the word out still and helping uh, more people know that it's an option out there. It's very forward thinking. I mean, I, I truly think you're a visionary as you kind of go through this to have that type of future thinking and really sitting in the FSO seat, you know, where we all were, and saying, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be a way to validate. And I think for Brittany and I, from our perspective, I know there are probably consultants out there that are saying, well, this could take my job. Or this could be, you know, somebody could look at this and say, well, now I don't need anybody else. I could just make this decision on my own. And to me, I think it validates if you're an integral person and you're sharing information about brands, what Crockett does for us is it validates what we're saying. Here's a brand with a fantastic EBITDA. Here's a brand with a lot of successful franchisees. Here's a newer brand, but their financials are great and their support mechanisms are great. So if you're a consultant that's doing the research on the front side for clients and working with brands that are fantastic, all that it does is it validates exactly what we've already been talking about. And so I think if people in the industry, as with any change, you know, there can be people going, oh, now what happens to us? <laughs> but I definitely think it just backs up everything that we're already talking about. And if you're if you're adding value as a consultant, as a franchisor, there's nothing to be scared of if you're doing what you need to do. And if anything, it stops people that maybe aren't ready to talk to somebody or they're not ready to do anything but research right now. Yeah. It leaves them in research mode and it helps them to develop their own thoughts until they're ready to, you know, move forward and have conversations, meaningful conversations with brands or about brands. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And uh, I, I did get a few comments, uh, not from brokers, but early on, just like, oh, like, are you trying to displace brokers with this? And I was like, no, like, I, I mean, brokers absolutely will forever have a place in the industry. Uh, I mean, there's a, just so many people who need and want to be able to bounce questions off uh, of, of someone, of another human being, like you can't just replace that, 
the, the value you guys provide with tech. Uh, I mean, to, I'm the, the biggest tech nerd and proponent of it, but, you know, uh, there's just nothing that can replace the human touch. And especially, you know, you know, especially a lot of folks, or at least, you know, I imagine most of the, the good brokers, right, like yourselves, uh, you're very in tune and in touch, like regularly with these franchisors, which that in, in and of itself is just another layer uh, of value that, I mean, maybe at a certain point, there's a way to provide that, but like, it's different than just having, having someone in your corner, the way you guys are. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's a very, uh, kind of, you know, uh, mutually beneficial, uh, relationship where, uh, you know, they can be used symbiotically and, uh, you know, a lot of people have been calling, like, for instance, I draw a lot of comparisons to real estate. A lot of people have been like, calling for the death of the real estate broker for a decade now. And it's, you know, I remember moving into New York, I started using like street easy and some of these websites. And then uh, I was like, I can't do this. Like like this, I need to know like, what about this neighborhood? Like there's always those questions and it's so nice to have that human touch. So uh, yeah, I don't think brokers are going anywhere um, at all. Um, and yeah, I really think uh, it, it can be used and beneficial for, for uh, you know, franchise buyers and brokers alike. We appreciate that. And, you know, you're, as we kind of look through this, you're creating, you're part of the creation of the future of franchising. And, you know, we like to think that we're forward thinking, we use technology, we're using different things that maybe other consultants haven't used in the past. From your seat at Crockett and as the wolf of franchises, what do you think the future of franchising looks like? What's that? What does that look like to you? Wow, that, that is a good question. Uh, I guess, I mean, so do you mean like, uh, like the actual franchising product, like, you know, uh, like, think, the, like kind of the inside or like new I brands think, that might come out like robotics and stuff like that? I mean, I'd be interested to see what you think on all of it. I think if we're listening to this podcast in, in 10 years and we listen yeah. back to this, what do you think we're talking about as what's going on today? Ooh, wow. That's really good. Um, I think at a minimum, I do really think that uh, that the this might be a hot take, but I, I and I'm biased, obviously, right? But I really think the regulation to a degree will eventually get ratcheted up. I just I don't see how the current way is ideal for, for the buyer. Um, meaning, like, there's a lot of technology out there. I think, like you guys said it earlier, right? Uh, as an industry, I don't think we're collectively doing a great job of utilizing it to its max potential. So I think for one, I think the way franchisors operate is going to be a lot different uh, where, you know, they, I, I believe that we will eventually some, I just don't see how, well, there's no reason to not do this, which is have some minimum requirement of, um, of uh, reporting in their FTDs. Uh, like at a minimum, that just would help your average buyer so much to have that. And the reason I think it's just like one, if you're offering an investment level that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars or potentially millions, you should bear some of the burden of proof of kind of uh, quantifying why your investment may or may not be worth it. And currently there's no burden of proof put on the franchisor. Uh, and, and given that most of them are charging a percentage-based royalty, they all have access to the point of sale system that their franchisees are on. It's very easy to reverse calculate what if you know what royalties are collecting you know what what the sales are for that franchisee that year so at a minimum i don't see why like things like that aren't put into place over time and um i also just think there seems to be 
you know, I'd be curious for you guys take, but there seems to be this renewed interest uh, or like growing interest in franchising, especially with like what's happening in the tech world and uh, a lot of, you know, startups like Silicon Valley Bank crashing. VCs and, and all these capital allocators are starting to look at, at different places to put their money and franchising is amazing. Like the ceiling on it is so high, right? It's an amazing tool and scale for growth. And so I think the level of people entering this space is just going to get better on the franchisor and the franchisee side. Um, and, and with that, right, I think we're going to see some really cool new brands. So um, yeah, I, I think just in 10 years, the landscape's going to look different. I really think the quality of brands is going to be um, qu- quite a bit different. Not to say that like there's a bunch of bad brands out there, but I do think there's kind of this middle of the road, like just this, there's kind of like the top 15%, and like there's like the bottom or just this middle section that maybe takes up the next like 80%. And then maybe 5% are like, oh, stay away from those. Like don't touch those with the 10-foot pole. Uh, but like there's just a lot of like kind of stuff that's like, ah, I don't really know how you're going to do. It's, you know, it's mediocre at best. Um, so, yeah, uh, I really expect regulation to increase. And, uh, yeah, I think we're going to see like a lot of successful franchisors. Like I'm talking like unicorn franchisors. I really think it's going to become this new area of investment. And I see that from my stuff on Twitter, right? Where uh, there's, that's where like the tech and VC community lives. The, I, I, this isn't like saying this is a brag. I'm just saying the interest that I've, I've been shocked at the interest I've gotten from that community through like DMs. And like, you know, I'm talking about people who like, they've run very successful funds. They live in San Francisco. Like these are people who have never written uh, or, or underwritten investments in franchisors and they're starting to look into this space. So it's going to be a really exciting few years, I think. I totally agree with so many of those things. I'm a big proponent of how do we regulate things and streamline things more. The more transparency that buyers can have, the better, in my opinion. And if we have bare minimum stipulations, it means not everyone can sign up to be a franchisor. That is my pet peeve in this industry is somebody builds one good location and they think I should franchise this because so-and-so told me so. And that's not the case. You have to be ready to be a franchisor if you're going to sign up to do so. I 100% agree. I think like that's, that is exactly it. It's a huge responsibility to be a franchisor. Mm-hmm. And not everyone's cut out for it. You know, if you're going to offer a, again, a multi hundred thousand or million dollar plus investment, like you got to have your shit together. You can, I, oh, sorry. Can I curse on this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. Like, but you do, you really do have to have your shit together. If, if you're not, you know, not everyone is cut out to be a full-blown entrepreneur. And that's why, like, a lot of people opt to be franchisees. And it's great. That's what, you know, they help you get from zero to one and beyond. Uh, but on the same line, not everyone's cut out to be a franchisor. So uh, if you can't handle the responsibility, then, like, there should be this a higher bar, I think, before, like you said, like, that anyone could just open one location and franchise. And, like, obviously, there are exceptions to that. Right. Crumble Cookies keeps putting out great average unit volumes year after year and growing their system. I don't think they've closed a location ever yet. Uh, and they did that off of one location. But like to me, that's very much the exception, not the rule. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you guys. Yeah, for sure. Well, you've shared a lot of good knowledge today. We ask every guest for some advice. So why don't you give us best piece of advice you've ever received? Doesn't even need to be related to franchising, just any advice. Another good question. Um, you know, I have, it's like generic, so it might sound cliche, 
there's probably like dozens of good pieces of like very specific advice I've gotten. But uh, my first boss at uh, that, the multi-unit franchisee that I worked for uh, in the HVAC industry, very, very good sales rep. The guy could sell ice to an Eskimo. Uh, he was pretty intense when he first joined. I remember he cleared house, like fired a bunch of people who just weren't meeting his standard. And uh, so people got scared of him, but, Anyway, you know, he, if you worked hard, he respected you and, and, you know, was honestly a really good guy to, to hang around and fun to, fun to work with. Uh, he said to me, he said, work hard. This was his slogan and I've just adopted. I have it written down because sometimes I get way too serious about work. So his, his mantra is work hard, be tough, but never stop having fun. Uh, and so like, I kind of just like really respected that because this guy was like, in the office at 6 a.m. every day. Uh, grinded, like absolutely crushed it with his job. And like, he did not mess around when, it, when he was building his sales team, but he always, like he was always laughing every day, always telling jokes. Like you could tell he was having fun at work every day. And uh, again, like it's, it's easy to try to maybe get down on yourself or get in the weeds of whatever you're doing uh, and forget that like <clears throat> life is short. So uh, I try to always just kind of bring that vibe with me of just, you know, let's always have fun regardless of what's going on in work. I think you've done a very good job of adopting that because every time <laughs> that we talk to you, you're smiling. It seems like you're having a good time. You're launching a massive disruptive platform right now in an industry that doesn't take well to disruption and you're yeah. laughing while you're doing it. And <laughs> I think that, and you are, you're working hard. You're putting out content, the same amount of content while you're doing that, while you're, you know, I think that you do a really good job of taking that to heart. And obviously we get great advice and sometimes it's like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm going to remember that for later, but to live it and to do it, it's another thing. And it seems like you've really done a great job of living that and embodying that and what you're doing in this industry and in your life. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I try to, uh, I, I don't think I'm having as much fun as my old boss. That guy was uh, a, cra <laughs> a, cr a crack up, but uh, yeah, I, I do try. Well, you've got a few years to figure it yes. out. You're in, <laughs> when you're when you're in the messy middle of all of this stuff, it does. Yeah. It's hard to laugh and have fun all the time. For sure. So franchising is an interesting arena. It can be very insular. I think a lot of the times as we talk about it, it's a lot of the same faces that kind of, we always joke that you might change a polo, you might change the name, the at, at the email account, but people yeah. really stick around in this industry. So what's your personal and compelling reason for being involved in franchising? I would say, I, I really just think the, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there is some, uh, it's not, you know, totally altruistic or anything. Like I think there's a lot of opportunity from an entrepreneurial perspective. So like, I have no shame in admitting, like I I'm a capitalist. I'm motivated by that, but on the, on the same time, right. Uh, I just think when the model works, I think it is the, the, one of the most beautiful business models. If not, I think it's the best business model on planet earth. And meaning that the, like it's a win, win, win across the board as in the franchisor, can do very well for themselves. Franchisees can earn life-changing money. And then at the end of it all, customers and those employees of the franchisees are also all winning and earning a great wage or getting a great service. And, you know, um, 
I'm a huge fan of Orange Theory, so I guess I can use that as, as an example, both as a franchise and like I go to it, like I love it as a customer. Uh, like right, what they did, the, they were founded in 2010. We're not, you know, within 10 years, they're a billion dollar company. Uh, I've never spoken to, and I happen to, for a few reasons, speak to a ton of their franchisees. I've never spoken to one who wasn't owning multiple units and loving life. Like all of them just do it, seem to be doing fantastic. Um, and then there's tons of people who love hit workouts and, you know, the healthy lifestyle they've been able to, been able to build from those workouts. So like, yeah, I just think it's a really beautiful business model when done right. So, uh, that's also part of the motivation for like everything with the wolf Crockett and whatnot. It's just, you know, playing a role in allowing the people who do want to do that. I, I don't necessarily think franchising is for everyone, uh, being, whether it's being a franchisee or being a franchisor. But I do think if you're someone who wants to be a business owner, um, that it's absolutely worth considering. Like if you're looking at opening your own coffee shop, you should look at some coffee franchises and just to see what's out there. And maybe you'd, you'd be like, oh, I don't actually want to start my own brand. I'll just buy a franchise. Or maybe you'll be like, I want to be a franchisor because I think I can do it better. Who knows? I think it's worth looking at. So like that's kind of my goal is really just helping honestly increase the ceiling of the industry as a whole. Um, cause I just think there's so much potential for everyone all around. I totally agree. <laughs> that's, I think that's a perfect way to end this podcast and probably one of the best answers we've ever gotten to that question. So thank you so, so much to the wolf for joining us today. We really appreciate you. Yeah. You guys as well. Love what you're doing. And, uh, yeah, thanks again for having me on. So if you'd like to learn more about franchising and diversifying your portfolio through franchising, email us at info at franpathconsulting.com. Follow the FranPath Consulting Podcast on Apple or Spotify. Please rate and review us five stars. You can also follow us on Instagram at FranPath, Facebook and LinkedIn at FranPath Consulting. Or go to our website, franpathconsulting.com, to take your free business assessment. Mm-hmm.